Okay, so hello everyone. I'm Stuart Fishman. This is the Web Yeshiva. We're going to talk about the stage of the Seder called Rachza, which is the Netilaki dying before we eat the matzah. Um, first, I'd like to apologize for not being with you yesterday. There was a misunderstanding on my part, and I'm very appreciative that for anyone who comes to this evening's class, as well as to the Ezra and everybody at the Web Yeshiva for rescheduling. So, Rachza, as opposed to in the Seder, we wash our hands twice. The first hand washing is called Urchatz before we eat the vegetable that's dipped in salt water. And that's been discussed by a number mem another member of the Web Yeshiva. Rachza is the conventional Natilakya Daim, which we eat, which we do before we eat bread. And the reason that we do in the Tilati Daim before we eat bread is in the it's a Gemara in Chulin, which is the basic Gemara about the Tilati Daim. And let me just get the pointer. Okay. And we'll get more into this. There's the Tilati Daim because Chazal, and we'll discuss more of this later again, made a certain decree for everyone to wash their hands before they eat bread because there was everyone needed to wash their hands, if they, even if they were Tahor, before they handled Truma or Kochim in general. So, for example, where am I for Shkala these days, right? You bake. I imagine everyone, especially women who bake their own challah, they know their mafresh challah, they bake a certain quantity, prepare a certain quantity of dough. When there was tumatara, and during the times of baked amikdash, and even afterwards, as long as there were ashes from the para'aduma, um, a woman would give this dough to a kohen, and the kohen would bake it, and they would treat it like Truma, which is which is Kodesh. And the woman who's Mafrishkala herself has to be Tahor. And there are many, many rules of Tumantara, which we again will talk about later today. But that's why we're washing our hands in the Seder. The first washing of hands is really unique. It's perhaps it's a good and I'm sure we discussed this and gave the class on that, gave the various reasons why we do this at the Seder for vegetables. But for matzah, that's like the other any other netilat yadayim. So, like I, I'd like to really discuss first is an interesting halacha: is matzah bread? Is matzah bread? We know what bread is. Matzah doesn't look like bread. It's crunchy. It's more like a cracker. And there's an halacha in Shulchan Aruch. In the context of tilat yadayim, for pot, which is bread, there is the tilat yadayim. There are several chapters in Shulchan Aruch which have the rules of the tilat yadayim. But there is another category of baked goods, which is called pata ba'abikisnin. This is a gemara in Masechet Brachot. Pata ba'abikisnin. It's not clear exactly what it was or is, but it's a sort of intermediate between cake and bread. Bread requires natilati daim and brakatamazon. Cake, let's say it's an apple strudel, okay, or a custard pie. Its barami name is Anodan al Michya. And significantly, bread requires natilatya daim. Cakes, let's call them custard pies, don't require natilat yadayim. And the Gemara says that there's something called patababikisnim. Now, what is patababikisnim? Okay, the Gemara doesn't really elaborate on what it is. And the Shulchan Aruch has three interpretations of patababikisnim. The first interpretation, 
אז פאטה בא עשר מין כיסים, שמעים אותם דבש או סוכר וגוזם שקדים וטבלין, רישקולוש ורישקולוש, אוקיי? It's some kind of pastry, a dough, which is mixed with nuts and honey and sugar and almonds and spices, and it's a stuffed pastry. Kisim means kisim, and kisim, as we all know in Hebrew, means a pocket. It's a pocket of pastry, okay? And perhaps that's patababa kisim. And then there's another interpretation to be found for Patababa Kisnin. Isa Shevod Vashu Shemen Okay, it's not so much that the pastry is stuffed, it's that the dough of the pastry, it's not just flour and water. There's honey, oil, milk, um, other spices, and this the other ingredients, you really taste them in the dough. That's a famous thing. It's for another discussion for another day, but we call sweet chalot. You can buy, at least here in Israel, plain what's called water challah. And it's just flour and dough. It's not sweet at all. Or most bakeries, at least where I live here in Efrat, they make a sweeter challah. And then you have a thing between Eidot HaMizrach and Ashkenazim. Eidot HaMizrach say that sweet challah is mezonot. It's patababa kisnin. As opposed to Ashkenazim, say sweet challah is still hamotzi. And that's why the Mechaber says, if you can taste the sweetness in the dough, it's not hamotzi anymore. It's patababa kisnin. Um, the Ramah says, and we'll just highlight what he says. No, if all you did was make a sweet dough, that's bread. That's Yiddish. Unless it's so sweet that really the honey and the and the other spices are the are, are the most significant ingredient. All right. So patababikisnin is either stuffed dough, what I think here in what are they called? And they're called in Spanish names are called anfenadas, sapukis. Okay, they're stuffed pastries, or they're very sweet pastry, or I put this in red, that's important for our purposes today. It's bread, in other words, it's flour and water. Whether it's been your spices and sweets in it or not, they're very, very dry and they crunch. They crunch. And we say all three are considered and they have the status of Pata Babikisnin. Now, what is the status of Pata Babikisnin? We go back. Pata Babikisnin, any baked good which can, has one of the three parameters of Pata Babikisnin, we say on it, and afterwards, okay? Now, if you can make a meal out of it, if you make a meal out of it, then it's Birkatamazon. So, where does this leave? Matzah. Matzah is certainly dry, matzah is certainly crunchy. So, I really need to do Natilat Yadayim on matzah. Do I? And actually, as surprising it may be, it's a serious discussion, particularly among the Svardi Poskin. And we'll see Rabavadi Yosef, what he says about pot, about matzah. Hasvardim of Neidotamitzach no gim lovechal matzah la achar pesach brahmi name is So after pesach, 
matzah is mezonot. It's very unusual lacha that the the bracha on the food changes. During Pesach, the consensus is that matzah is hamotzi because that's the only bread that we have. We're not eating regular bread. So matzah, so to speak, moves up a league, goes from mizonot to hamotzi. But after Pesach is over, and really, there's what to rely upon for this custom. But people who are more careful will only eat matzah after they say hamotzi on regular bread. Or they're making a meal out of the matzah, which is what we do on Pesach. We have no other bread. And if you're going to have a meal with bread, you're going to, instead of bread, you're going to eat matzah. And how much, and you have to have what's called kobeya suda. You have to make a meal out of the matzah. It's 230 grams, which is a quarter of a kilo, it's a considerable, let's say it's like two matzahs. A kilo box of matzah, it's like eight or 10 shmur matzahs. Uh, that's a lot of matzah, okay? 230 grams is a lot of matzah. And then Ravadi Yosef says, you make, you say until you die, on your matzah, but without a bracha. Okay, and if you're gonna make spring on your matzah after Pesach, uh, okay, he says you have what you have what to rely upon. And this is all after Pesach. And some people say, if all you can have is a, a little taste of bread and you're not going to love matzah, then really don't see Birkata Mazon. A person who does not eat bread at all. If for some reason you don't eat bread and you only eat as matzah, and this is a big issue for people of celiac. They cannot eat regular, what we call regular matzah, because it's made from wheat and they're gluten intolerant. So all they ever eat is basically oat matzah. I have relatives who do this. They eat oat or spelt and they won't eat bread either. It's like they bake it, it doesn't really rise. It's flat. Basically matzah is, bread, is a dough that doesn't rise. And for various reasons, more involved with the chemistry of the food, oat and spelt don't, it's, if it's pure oat and pure spelt, they don't really rise. They could say, it's, and they bake it like matzah. Then you say, all year long. That's an interesting halacha. So we're doing rachza, rashkenazim. Well, of course you can do the tati time because we hold that matzah is not part of abikisnim, but edotam uh, say that it is, and the bracha changes during the year. And so you can look in the details. I think it's an interesting halacha. So he has footnotes. Matzah is hard and it crunches. It's patababikisnin and it's mizonot and alamichia. These was a rab in Egypt. Shukhanin 
the one of the great Sephardi poskim says, "Don't go break mazonot." He says, people say mazonot on matzah." They have to Pesach to avoid this doubt of whether what bracha I should make. Rani Chidaz says, don't eat matzah after Pesach unless you're making a meal out of it. But Maranachita says, in his opinion, yes, you can just say on matzah. And there's no need to be worried and have a suffix. There's no need to make a meal out of it. After Pesach, again, the matzah you were saying hamotzi on during Pesach now becomes mezonos. On the mishirik nesses a gadola kashal matzah ve hamotzi ve kashal mazon. Finish in a kasha kol kach. This is interesting. Matzah has evolved. Um, in America, I never saw this, but here in Israel, there's something called lafa, which is a flat pita, no pocket, and it's dough. It's a, it's not baked until it burns. Basically, matzah is baked until all the moisture is gone. That's Ashkenazi matzah. It's crunchy. Many Sephardim have lafa on Pesach. They call it matzot rakot. They, because lafa might be chametz. But they're called matzot rakot, and you can buy them in Israeli supermarkets with fine mahadran hashkachot on it. And most people would rather eat a lafa than matzah, especially because a true Israeli delicacy is they grill turkey and you stuff your lafa with it. It's called shawarma, and this is really delicious. I mean, if you don't live in Israel, and you've never really, it's it's worth making the trip here just to get a lafa with a shawarma. And that's matzah in the sense. Again, we think that this is matzah, but that's not that's not the only way to make matzah. Matzah means you bake the dough from start to finish, from kneading to the end. Eighteen. Don't never leave it alone for eighteen minutes, and it's baked enough that you can pull it apart, and there are no threads of unbaked dough inside this. Let's call it baked good. That's a lafa, and like it's like frashkenazim. You never think that this would be matzah. But really, it could be matzah. And like Ravad Yosef said, quoting the Maranachida, he says, you know what? I think you can make hamotzi on matzah. She'ena kashel kokach. The matzot that the Sheikh Nesek weren't hard. It was lafa. And it's fine, and it's kosher, and it's wonderful. But Ravad Yosef says, you know what? These days, we're making matzahs that are very, very dry. Okay, so even Ranach, even the Sharik Nesakdola, who said that matzah is a moat because it's not so hard. Well, these days we're making dry, brittle matzahs. That's the discussion about matzah, um, what bracha to make on it. It's an interesting thing, but we are all doing brachza with a bracha on Tzadkidayim, because on Pesach, these dry, brittle things that we call matzah, that's our only bread. As an aside, just to say, well, maybe if I'm an Ashkenazi, and I think lafa is certainly more appetizing than matzah, um, can I use, can I eat lafa on Pesach? Rav Asher Weiss has a tshuva on this. Rav Asher Weiss is a great gadol. He lives in Yishlayim. Chid matzah drakot b'pesach ashkenazim. 
Can Ashkenazim eat lafa on Pesach? Okay, but now he will see the evolution of matzah baking. Nisaron is the shear for being mafreshchala. It's about 1,300 grams of flour, two pounds. And from my wife, when she bakes enough, when she uses enough dough, the mafreshchala with the bracha, she gets out of it like four big chalot and a few rolls. The Torah says from that quantity of dough, you can get three matzahs. So their matzah in those days was very, very thick. Okay, think about that. From, a, from two pounds of dough, a kilo 300, you can get three matzahs. I mean, these days, a kilo of dough, a kilo of matzah, you get 10 matzahs. And the Torah was getting three. They were thicker. Okay, it evolved. Can you be a Ramad? The son who is sheer shall kill of Shemeshmil Gram. That's it. Their three matzot was like 30 of our matzot. Their three matzot were thick as 30 of our matzot. Now you can say, well, maybe they were huge matzot. Maybe they weren't thicker. They were the size of my kitchen table. No, that, he says that makes no sense. Okay, that's impossible. Their matzahs were very, very thick. Okay, it's just a fact. Now, that minute changed. We know we go for, th- for thin matzah because, again, chametz is dough that rises and dough rises when it's not completely heated to the extent that all the yeast die. If you're making something that's this thick and really they're talking about matzahs that are like this thick, there's a real chance that the, in the center of the dough, the dough didn't really bake through. And then you're eating chametz. It's safer and I mean, yes, it's nice to have matzah, but more important not to eat chametz. So make sure it's baked through. We make thin matzahs. That's why our matzot are so thin. Okay. In the, old, in the old days, they weren't making such thin matzahs. Where's my page go? Excuse me. There we are. Their matzahs were bigger and much thicker. But they had to be soft. If their matzah, which is like four inches thick, was as hard as our matzah, it'd be impossible to eat. Right? It'd be impossible to eat. And they bake their matzahs that the middle matzah, you know, you have people to say there. These days, our matzot are small, so we hand out a lot of matzahs. But in the 14th century, they would have one very large matzah, which it was broken up into pieces. So their matzah was like humongous, right? Not like our matzahs at all. Not like our matzahs at all. You don't like our matzahs at all. Okay. So the matzah had to be thick and soft. Even the Khatam Sofer, who lived in the middle of the 19th century, he also made large, thick matzot. And if our matzahs are thin, obviously we can't hand out a kazai to everyone at the table from a single matzah. Okay, but that was their minute. Okay. And that's that. It quotes Tosfot that you should break up the matzot. You should be able to separate them like a chal without breaking it in half. Again, our matzot are brittle. Our matzot are brittle, not like the matzot that were baked even 150 years ago. 
Why are we making our matzahs thin, crunchy wafers? So it shouldn't be as thick as bread. Okay, and why don't you want it to be as thick as bread? Do you want to make sure that it's baked through? Okay, because if it's thick dough, it might become chametz. And so the other rabbi, they say their matzah was as thick as a finger. And that's still thicker than our matzahs. Our matzahs are like two pieces of paper. And their matzahs also had to be soft. Because matzah that's as thick as your finger, if it was hard as our matzah, you couldn't eat it. So, Rav Asher Weiss is puzzled, like, why are we making matzahs so thin? He says, you know what? Uh, maybe It's not really because of the problem of chametz, but because we mass produce our matzahs. And we make them a lot in advance. Yeah, I mean, I bought my matzahs last week. I mean, we have to make a lot of them. In the old days, every town had a few Jews. They baked matzahs on a small scale. Now matzahs mass produced. If you would mass produce soft matzah, in other words, lafot, they mold. I mean, unless you keep them in the freezer, uh, they go bad in a day or two. Mat the matzahs that we're using these days, they wrap them in cellophane. They're good. I mean, I know people of matzahs from last year, and they're taking just going to take them out of the cellophane and use them. I mean, they. I mean, they're so dry, nothing really goes wrong with them. That's what Rashi Weiss thinks. What drove the transition to thin matzahs? Okay, so but the okay, lafot will either mold or get stale. So can I eat lafa? And I would love to have lafa on Pesach. It's, I mean, it's better than matzah. Why not? What does Rashi Weiss say? You need a, a method. How do I know what's hummus? And I know that when I bake a matzah that's as thin as a wafer and it's so baked that there are burnt spots in there, all these little brown bubbles, there's no hummus in there. This this thing is baked. Comes to the lava, well. Do I really know what's going on in the middle of the lafa? I mean, was I there? Okay, I don't know. He says, it is a, it is an issue. So you should not eat lafa on Pesach if you're Nashkenazi. I mean, we, for years, I mean, it's been a very long time since any Ashkenazi has seen a soft, chewy matzah. We have mean hugim. That's our custom. We don't have soft, chewy matzah. Pesach is a chametz, which is kareis chalila. We should avoid chains. Error on the side of caution. Tamsofer says a lot can go wrong if you're baking thick, fleck, thick, soft matzah. He says in Germany they put an end to it. So if you're a Sephardi, um, enjoy your lafa. And if that's what you're eating at the Seder, it's certainly hamotzi, without any doubt. If you're an Ashkenazi, well, that's what you're going to eat during Pesach. You're always going to make hamotzi. You're always doing the tilat yadayim. If Freidota Mizrach, um, you'll do the tilat yadayim and rat, such as rachza for your matzah, if that's the matzah that you're eating during Pesach. And after Pesach, you can say Mizonot and Al Michya. But Rav Yossi would suggest that you should say Yadayim on the shear of bread, which is a kabeitza, so you can make say Yadayim with a bracha and birkas hamazon. So that's bread and rachza. Okay. Any questions? Bye.
mute. Uh, unmute all. Any questions? No. Okay, if no questions, then we'll just go on to the next subject, which is Natilati Daim itself. Most of us know Natilati Daim, but it's nice to review. I just have to open up the files. Excuse me. Okay. So, how do we, what are we doing with Natilati Daim? And why are we doing the Tilakya Dain? We got the Rambam. There's my Rambam. Okay. In Seder Tarot, there's a Masachet called Yadayim. Hands. And what's it all about? Not the Masachet Zuhat Dhamma. This is the Rambam's commentary to the Mishnah. I, here's an introduction to this Masachet called Yadayim. This is what we do in the Tilati Dayim, which is not Tevilat Yadayim. Sometimes there's actually for Kodshim, immerse the hands in a mikvah. But for bread and truma, it was enough to wash the hands as we do. And there's a in Drabana, that everyone who's eating bread must do the tilachi daim, even if the bread is chulin. Which is explained in Masechet Chagiga, which has all the decrees that were made to protect Kodshem from impurity. Whenever you dip any food into, one, into a liquid, you do the tilat yadayim, which is what we're doing at Orchat, at the beginning of the Seder. But regular fruit, which isn't truma, and they're dry, it's not the tilat yadayim. And actually, the Gemara says, whoever does the tilat yadayim for fruit, it's just arrogant. Okay. And we do the time. This is there are rules for this. This is not washing our hands to keep them clean. That's why there's a verb, the tilat yadayim, which makes in literal Hebrew doesn't really mean very much to take the hands. Washing in Hebrew is rechitza. When you wash hands when they're dirty in Hebrew, say shotfimat hayadayim. We're rinsing them off. The tilat yadayim is what we do because of truma. Of course, people are eating truma, and Bezrat Hashem Mashiach will come today even. We'll go back to eating truma, we'll know all these halachot, why they, the whys and wherefore. So that's Natilat Yadayim, it's based on truma. There are a lot of halachot about Natilat Yadayim, a lot of technicalities, and they come from the laws of Tuma and Tara. The Magin of Ram is one of Certainly, the great commentaries to Shochan Aruch, and this is his introduction to the Tilat Yadayim. Magen Avram wrote his commentary in the late 17th century, if I'm not mistaken, and the laws of the Tilat Yadayim, he said, are really perplexing. And normally, his commentary is like four or five words, but he wrote an introduction. As the Rambam says, there's a dindra abundant of tumma. Normally, if a person is tame, can't say the right from Minatara, my nose is tame or my hands are tame. The person is tame, but the person isn't tame. And the person is tame, they need to go into a mikvah. Hands. There's a special decree regarding the hands, they're tame. How big is what part of my hand is tame? According to the rush, the tumma of the hands is only up to the wrist. Now we wash our hands twice. And I think we once had a series of classes on the Tilati Dime. Why we wash our, each hand twice? The first water makes the hand pure. Now that water is impure. And if my impure water on my right hand would touch my other hand, 
which was already washed twice. Now that hand is tummy again because of the contact with the water on the first hand. Okay, I'm the other way around. I wash my first hand once, and then I wash it again twice. If some, if another hand would touch this water, maybe my hand is tummy again. So you have to be very careful what you're doing with your hands and all these other things. The big rule is that a reviet of water on your hand is not tummy. And the other pirishalim say, no, your hand is only tummy up to your finger, up to your fingers join your hand itself. That's where the tummy is. And the Aruch says, no, even your forearm can be tummy. And Magyaram has to sort all of this out. I'm just showing this to you because it's a complicated subject. And they wanted to make the process foolproof. And the summary is in Chai Adam. The Chai Adam wrote the great summary of Halacha. Use a revius for each hand. A revius, let's just say, is a cup of water. If you wash each hand with a revius, you are really avoiding a lot of complexity, which is what the Magen Avram writes in his introduction. And everybody knows all the technicalities of the Tilak Yedayim, in the sense, what's Tameh and what's Tahor. Let's say you'll take all fakos. Use a whole cup of water. You're free. You're good. Not to the is Farah. And if you use more water, even better. So even if you do use one cup of water for the initial rinse, take another cup of water for the second rinse just to clear off the first water. Okay. And he says, Take the revius of water, wash your hand up to your wrist, at least up to the ends of your fingers. Okay. Okay, so you wash a revius of water on your first hand. And then you touched your other hand before you washed it, or someone else touched your hand. Then if your hands are wet and it was touched by a hand that isn't washed, now it's tummy again because of the water's been tummy the hand. But he says without a bracha. After you wash each hand, both of them, and they're twice with water, rub them together and raise them up. You raise your hands before you say the bracha. And then, before you wipe them on the towel, dry them on the towel, say the bracha. Okay. Chatzitza. Just like mikvah, the entire hand has to get wet. Just like if I go to mikvah, if I'm tamay, my entire body has to get wet. Chatzitza can be, okay, your hands should be clean. A common issue is band-aids. You have a cut on your hand, you have a band-aid on your hand. Why you do about chatzitza of a bandage? So just look at these halachot. This is from the Piskei Tshuvot. It's a, an anthology. Band-aids, Hebrew is called a plaster. A gauze pad, a, sl- a bandage of other kinds. Shochan Aruch says, a person has a, a wound on his hand or a bandage. You can wash your hand and the band, with the skin under the bandage is okay. It can stay dry. And he breaks it down. If you have a, a wound on your hand, and removing the bandage will hurt, or you can't remove it because it's like a cast, or the doctor says not to remove it, you might get infected, and you don't take this off as a rule, okay? 
then it's not a barrier. It's part. It's a, It's part of your hand now. It's not a barrier to the water. Okay, and then just be careful. If the doctor says keep it dry, you use your abyss of water, and don't pour any water on the bandage. That's good. Okay. And if there's a bad now if it's a bandage and you want to keep it dry and it got wet, then okay. And you don't want it to get wet, then wrap it up in something that's clean and then you can eat. Okay. Um, if you have two bandages on it, it's a double bandage. You have the bandage with the ointment, and then you have another bandage on top of that bandage just to keep it in place. Then if you can remove it without any pain, you should remove it. Okay, and just leave the more medicinal bandage in its place and just keep it dry. You don't have to worry about it. It's not a chatzitza. Okay. If if the doctors say no, your hand has to stay dry. Don't wash this hand. We don't want any water possibly leaking under the bandage. Okay. Then put some wrap plastic around. The hand has to stay dry this way, and you use that hand to wash your other hand. Okay. And if both hands have to stay dry, you have Khalilo bandages on both hands, then don't say that you like your dying. Let's say you just had a little cut, you have a Band-Aid on it, it's not a big deal, you can take the Band-Aid off, it doesn't bother you, it doesn't hurt to remove it, then you, you have to take it off before Natilak you die. Okay? Now, if your bandage is there, it's stuck on, it's going to stay there for a while, and you don't plan on changing the bandage, and it doesn't, you, you have to have the bandage, it doesn't annoy you, I'm not, it doesn't bother you, and then even if there's no, it won't be painful to remove it, but you're not planning on removing it, it's not a chatzitza. Wash your hand with a revius and just leave it there. And that's chatzitza, just the review because it's a common question. Uh, just to finish, I'll finish with a. I want to finish with these with a Rambam. Who talks? He talks about tumantara. Because again, the telati daim that we're doing at Orchatz. Is all part of an original decree to preserve and protect truma and other kachin. And this is at the end, the end of at the end of Tumas Ochlin, which is really what we're talking about. The idea of the Daim was to prevent the food that's Kodesh, the Truma and the Chala, becoming Tame. Whatever we learn in the Torah and in the Halach about Tumen Torah, really, the only things that we worry about Tuma was for food and base Mikdash, Korbanos, Chumas, and Maiser Shani. Because people who are Tame may not enter base of Mikdash, they may not eat Kodshim. They may not eat truma and meiser betuma. But chulin ben yisur klal, but chulin there's no iser at all. The bread that I buy in the supermarket, the angels bakery, or the other bakeries, it's chulin. There's no iser in making them tamei. 
It is absolutely permitted to eat chulon that's tame, to drink beverages that are tame. Okay, so why do we see in the halacha that there's a concept of chulon being tame, and if it's tame, if it contacts truma food, it becomes pasal. It doesn't mean that you can't eat the chul and that's tame. It must be no truma kodesh, but for kachim, where truma is relevant, I need to be aware of what is touching kachim. And I need to know that if I'm tame and I ate this lafa sandwich, okay, I'm a tame person. I'm in the middle of the, eating this sandwich. Then a Kohen would walk by, and he would walk by with his truma lafa, and it touches my swarma sandwich. Now he can't eat the lafa. The lafa is puzzle. And there's a lot of diligence and care that went into maintaining the laws of Tuma and Tara. That's why, okay. It's mutter to eat tuma, kulon, that's tame, and there's nothing wrong with making a tame. I don't need to be careful. I'm not a Kohen, not even a Levi, I'm a Yisrael. I go to the supermarket, and I just came back from a Leviah, Lo'aleinu, so I'm, a, I'm an Avatuma. I can go buy groceries. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with causing tuma. The chulin. Now, comes to Yandav, it's different. But since comes Yantiv, I have to be all the regal, then I have to be Tahor, because I'm going to eat Kudshim. Hopefully, if it's right, Hashem, Hashem will be here today, and we can all become, we'll all bring our Korban Pesach. So, for that, you have to know about Tumantara. For Yantiv. Okay. Now, Yes, it is certainly permitted to eat food that's Tame, drink beverages at Tame. When you learn, you see in the Gemara, there is a community of people called Prushim. Prosh means separate. Okay? And this may sound elitist to the point of being offensive, but this is an ideal. Okay? There are people in the times of the Gemara who ate chun betara. They were careful about the laws of Tara. They would only eat food that's tahor. The Sanaminatumos their whole lives they avoided Tuma to the extent that's possible. And they are called the Prushim, Pharisees. Okay? And in the New Testament, there's much as abuse is hurled at the Phar- at the Pharisees. Okay? They're the Pharisees. I don't know if they're the ones in the New Testament, and they're white and sepulchers, but they're the Pharisees, Prushim, and they were a they were an elite. They were a separate group that viewed themselves as parish, as separate. Now these days we and we think a lot of equality and egalitarianism and all for one and one for all, which is valuable in the society. But some people want to be more they're seeking holiness there's a holiness in this we to us it seems so foreign but it's true the truth in the torah there's a kedushia serum this brings extra holiness there are chasidus this is the way of piety most people and it's a fact of life 
most people are not interested in spirituality. Most people simply want to be left alone and watch television and drink beer and eat potato chips. And I mean, that's why McDonald's is such a successful chain. I mean, most people are just interested in that, fast food, um, watch TV. Netflix is very successful, very successful company. And I think there are more people interested in Netflix and there are people who are learning Dafyomi. It's a fact. And it may sound elitist or insulting to the masses, but it's true. And there are people who don't want to be part of this. And it's like, I know that I was like, okay, I went to dental school and there were class parties. And when that went on in class parties, I couldn't be a part of. So I'm not saying I'm a part, I was parosh, but you realize there's some things that are not meant for, God doesn't want humanity to be doing this in general. He doesn't want the Jewish people to be doing this in particular. And uh, you don't eat with them. You don't drink with them. This idea of Tara isn't just the end in itself. The Tara of the Prushim was meant to lead to not just to preserve food. It's meant to preserve people from bad deeds. And yes, if you're abstaining from the food that's tame, that means you're abstaining, it limits your social circle. That's a fact. I mean, it's enough that if you're an Orthodox Jew and you work with non-Jews, that you can't go out to parties with them. But this is even another layer or another uh, level of, of social distancing, which we saw with the coronavirus. This abstinence leads to holiness of the soul because it'll save you from Deus Rose. It'll save you from improper wrong thoughts. And it's true, most parties are immoral. And they, they even brag about it. So that's why there's a whole concept of purity. It's not just Yes, there's a din that you can't eat, but it means that this is the message of it. And the holier person is, the closer person is to God. And that's it. And that's Nitilak Yadayim. As part of the halachas concept of social distancing. So, um, any questions? If there are no questions, then I wish you all chag kasher v'sameach, or sameach v'kasher, and I wish you zoche to eat the Korban Pesach this year. Bye-bye. Chag kasher v'sameach. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.